If you guys would, please find your seats. We are continuing this morning in the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 and continuing on. And this morning we're in Psalm 124. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 124. Otherwise, you can look at your bulletin or on the screen. The 124th Psalm, hear now the word of God. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Nile crocodile in Africa can grow up to a length of about 15 feet to a weight of 1,200 pounds it can swim up to 22 miles an hour, and it can live 100 years. <clears throat> now, while they mainly eat fish, they've also been known to eat porcupines, other crocodiles, zebras, and even small hippos. In the, Nile River, in the Nile River Basin, these crocodiles kill hundreds of people every year. One of the interesting things about crocodiles is how they deal with getting hot. Other than taking a swim to cool off from the beating sun, they have a primary way to cool off. For humans, we sweat dogs pant, crocodiles lounge on the banks of a river and they open their mouths to allow heat to escape. Now occasionally, when a Nile crocodile opens its mouth to cool off, do you know what happens? A bird by the name of the Egyptian plover flies into the crocodile's mouth. Why? We'll answer that in a little while. So today, we're going to look at two things. 
We're going to look at how the psalm talks about danger. And we're going to look at how the psalm talks about escape. And kids, I want you to remember three words. And these three words are all in one phrase. The three words are this. Sparks of fire. Can you all remember that? Sparks of fire. So let's start off by looking at the danger. We see this beginning at the end of verse 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us. The danger happens, we see, in the rest of the psalm, whenever people rise up against David here, who is the author of the psalm, as we see in verse 1. Now, what's the danger? We see this in verses 3 through 5. Then they would have swallowed us up alive. Then the flood would have swept us away. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. You know, what's interesting is all three of these dangers in the rest of the Old Testament, they're actually dangers of nature. Jonah talks about being swallowed up both by the sea and by the great fish, floods, raging waters. Those are dangers of nature. So how are those dangers related to people rising up against them? At first glance, they're not. People rising up against you, they can't literally swallow you whole. Right? They can't sweep over you like a flood. And they can't go over you like raging waters. Now, all three of those things, they do come upon you swiftly. They come upon you unexpectedly. But no person can do it quite like nature can. And so what are the analogies in verses 3 through 5 talking about when David is is telling us of these dangers? And I think it's more accurate for us to see these not as literal dangers that David is speaking of, but his subjective experience of those dangers. How did David actually feel when faced with these dangers? And then if we move into the escape portion of the psalm in verses 6 and 7 we actually see a little more clearly than what those dangers are. But I think that this was an important point for us to notice this morning, is that the Psalms are certainly filled with the writer's subjective experience of whatever reality is happening. And for this morning, it's important for us to see that our our own subjective experience of danger or whatever it might be, it doesn't have to line up with reality for it to be valid. For instance, could you imagine an Israelite boy at this time riding on his papyrus and because it was pressed too 
too flatly, he got a paper cut. Back then they called it a papyrus cut, right? And he comes up to King David and he says, oh, King David, you know, I've got this really bad papyrus cut and it's hurting so bad and I can't write and I'm really worried about it. Could you imagine David then saying, young boy, that's nothing. When men rose up against me, they wanted to swallow me up alive and sweep over me like a flood. Of course, that's not what he would say. Because whatever that young boy would experience, even if he thinks that it's sweeping over him like a flood, it's certainly valid in the sense that it's describing his reality. But we do that, right? We do that with our friends, our family, with folks in the church. I was just diagnosed with prostate cancer, and I'm really scared. Yeah, but, you know, I've had brain cancer. Or, man, yesterday was awful because I had to go to the emergency room because I got five stitches in my thumb. Oh, that's no big deal. I had 37 stitches in my eyeball. Or, this is my favorite, too. I'm going to take heat for this, but that's okay. Adoring wife. You know, this cold that I have has really gotten me under the weather, and my stomach really hurts. Husband, you have a man cold. Have you given birth? No, you haven't. But I have four times to your watermelon-sized babies, so stop complaining. Man colds are serious, y'all. Probably not as serious as if you get given birth, not as serious as if you had men lying in wait to trap you and kill you like David. But it's still what we experience, Right? The Psalms don't speak only to those who have suffered the worst. They speak to all of us. And it would be a shame for us to walk away from a study of the Psalms and go, oh, they only only speak to the very worst of our sufferers, or the very worst of our suffering, or to those who are in most danger. But they, they speak to all of us at all times. When you have both a cold and you have cancer. And so our suffering is not a game of one-upsmanship. But David's subjective experience of that danger actually helps us better understand the real danger that he was in. For David to describe it this way, you know that it's serious stuff, right? If we move to verses 6 and 7, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. In that way, in the way that the escape is presented, we actually learn a whole lot more about the danger. That there were men who have risen up against David and others, and they have set a trap. 
that David and the other Israelites were not able to get out of had the Lord not rescued them. And that trap would have led to their death. They weren't catching birds to keep them in cages. They were catching birds to destroy them. Quickly, in an instant, without any forewarning. Now I want to make two brief comments about the Hebrew in these last two verses. The first, I want us to look at this word escaped in verse 7, escaped. The Hebrew word there literally means slip forth, escape, sparks of fire from jaws of crocodile. If you look up any lexicon, escape sparks of fire from jaws of crocodile. You remember at the beginning, that bird, the Egyptian plover, the bird who thinks it's a good idea when the crocodile opens his mouth to fly in there? Well, he does that because of this symbiotic relationship that he has with the crocodile. You see, the, the crocodile's diet leaves a lot of mangled and rotting flesh in his teeth. And the plover, whenever he sees his mouth open, he acts like nature's dental hygienist. He gets in there and he cleans the crocodile's teeth and he gets a meal in the process. Now let me ask you something. What happens when that crocodile is startled? His jaws snap shut and he pivots to see what just startled him. And if the plover is quick and he responds really quickly, he escapes sparks of fire from the jaws of a crocodile. Why would the Israelites have a word like this? that means so much. If you spent 400 years in slavery in the Nile River Basin in Egypt, you probably have seen a few non-crocodiles and you've probably seen a plover escaping from his mouth. David's escape was literally by the skin of a crocodile's When you and I think about escape, what we think about is a very well-planned jailbreak. When the Bible thinks about escape, it thinks about the Egyptian plover. No plan, you escape at a moment's notice and you barely leave with your life. So that's the first comment on the word escape. The second is on this Hebrew word yakash in verse 7, which is translated there in verse 7 as fowlers or snare layers. In Isaiah 8 and uh, Isaiah's chapter 8 and 28, it's translated as those who snare by their own plans. 
or in Ecclesiastes 12, 9, it's those who, who snare in the circumstances of life. So this isn't merely someone setting a trap for you externally. This is being ensnared by your own plans or being ensnared by the circumstances of your own life. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? It means that sometimes, and we've got to be honest with this, sometimes we make dumb plans. Probably the older you are, the more you can think back and go, yeah, that was pretty dumb. We make dumb plans, or we get ensnared by the present circumstances in our life. But, did you notice that the psalm said it twice? But, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. We escaped. There's an old Christian saying that describes this appropriately, there but for the grace of God go I. It closes, the psalm closes by saying, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, the reason our help is in the name of the Lord is because most of the time, while being faithful the best that we can to Jesus, we are just trying to get along and make sure that we have a meal, like that little plover. We're trying to make sure that we can pay the electricity bill or do our school or do our marketing well or enjoy our hobbies, enjoy our children or grandchildren, whatever it may be. And whether from the outside or inside within ourselves, there are traps being laid. And without the Lord there to help, we would be destroyed. The psalm says at the very end, the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. God's able to help because he made everything. He's super powerful. And then at the beginning of the psalm, he's on our side, which means he's good. Which means he's provided a way of escape, not in our plans, but he himself is the way of escape. And to wrap all this up, if you remember when the Israelites were in the deserts and the snakes came upon them, how did they escape the snakes? They didn't build little chairs and stand on the chairs. They didn't get up on their animals. The only way to escape was to look to God himself. So Moses raised up the, the serpent on a staff in the wilderness and if they looked on it, they would be saved. The thing that is setting the biggest trap for us is not really our own circumstances, our own lives, friends. It is our sin. There is a very 
real reason Scripture describes sin is deceitful. The only way to escape that is not by devising our own plans. The only way to escape is by the skin of a crocodile's teeth, by looking upon not the serpent raised up in the wilderness, but upon the Savior raised up on the cross. Your sin is at your door. But Jesus is held before you on a cross, crucified for you. He is the one who has made an end to that and who has conquered that for you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would see in our danger, the seriousness of the danger, but also in our escape, not our plans, but how you, when we needed it most, our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen.